0: Hi, everyone. I'm Donna Anderson, author of LoveFraud.com and host of the True Love Fraud Stories podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Violsa Capri, a licensed mental health counselor. I'm asking her about the psychological and cultural pressures faced by the young woman in our story called Fast and Deceptive, A Marriage Scam. The young woman's parents emigrated from Iraq to Canada, where she was born. When she was 23, they pressured her to marry. She met a man online who was also of Iraqi heritage. He claimed to be educated and promised her financial security. They quickly married, and the young woman soon learned that everything he told her was a lie. This man took advantage of Muslim traditions to run a classic marriage scam. How would Violsa, herself an observant Muslim, advise people who find themselves dealing with similar issues? That's what I wanted to ask her. Here's our conversation. What are the cultural and psychological pressures that people from Iraq or other countries may face when they immigrate to Canada or the United States?
1: Yeah, that's a great question because there's so many cultural and psychological pressures. Expats, they experience an immense amount of pressure trying to essentially turn a foreign place into a home, into the homes that they've left behind. Um, These are homes that they've known their entire generations. So it becomes very lonely in a foreign land. They're maintaining their core identity. And then that is constantly at odds with trying to fit into their new place. You know, so they're keeping up with cultural and regional foods. They can't find those ingredients in their new place, but they're kind of craving their comfort foods. They want to hear their mother tongue, the language that they're used to. That's how they express themselves. And then. They're trying to learn a new language and they're often embarrassed because it's a language that they don't know. It's hard to express themselves. And then they experience a little bit of ridicule. Um, and that that affects them socially and their ability to integrate, make relationships, find spouses. You know, every choice that they make is, is weighted against their desperation to be successful in that new place. Hold on to the identity that's being torn from them every day as they try to fit in. And part of making that foreign land a home that they recognize is putting roots down. And for people from Muslim-majority countries, putting roots down means getting married and having children. Um, But how do they do that in a place where they don't know anybody? And that's where those pressures really start to squeeze them.
0: So what cultural and psychological pressures do children of Iraqi or Muslim immigrants face when they're born and grow up in the United States or Canada, and it's a different society than their parents grew up in?
1: Right, absolutely. When you look at how children develop uh, when they're expats um, and children of expats, really their pressures are no different from adults with one major difference they are not in control of how their difficulties are dealt with. It's not up to them. And that can leave them angry, feeling unheard, isolated, ignored. You know, they're being told by, you know, they're being bullied by their classmates. They're being treated differently by their teachers. But at home, parents don't have the same experiences that they do. So they just, they don't even talk about it often. Just even in our clinic, we see that as a huge issue where the parents don't recognize those fundamental growing up experiences that they had back in their own hometowns in their own countries that their children are trying to reconcile in their new schools, you know, a, a culture that people don't understand. They make fun of the food in their lunchbox. They say that their clothes smell like spices that their homes normally smell like that they've never experienced before they They have funny accents. Their mom comes in traditional clothes to pick them up. So there's a lot of, um, Ridicule and pressures, and just reminders that they're they're different. Something they don't have experience with their parents. Okay,
0: so in the story that we're talking about, the young woman was twenty three and pressured by her parents to marry. So, what advice would you offer to someone in her situation?
1: Uh, that. That I feel like I'd be at loss if I didn't explain that pressure. The pressure is both to marry. It's a it's a cultural and religious expectation. You're responsible for ensuring the survival of your group and your lineage. And Muslims are also commanded by religious customs that serve to preserve their decency and give meaning to their life um, to get married uh, in order to meet your creator. When you're a Muslim, you want to be in the best state you can be. And the purpose of marriage is really to bring you to that state by giving you companionship and trials and a comforting learning space to kind of be who you want to be. And so, the advice that I would give to someone who is being pressured to marry is to not do it alone, to utilize the same customs that her own parents would have had, which is you letting the village help you in that process which is the process of most muslim majority um cultures is that the 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 network of your community helps you in your spouse choosal proposal and marriage situation
0: so how does that work can you explain a little bit what happens in a traditional culture
1: yeah so um kind of feeds into the idea of arranged marriage because arranged marriages are common to many cultures even today not just iraqi or even muslim ones because i can speak to the main thing is that they are so commonplace is because they're ultimately successful for over five thousand years arranged marriages that were recorded in history is proving that they're the best success rate even today when we look at the divorce rates arranged marriages do way better than you know the traditional free love fairy tale love marriage seekers so what happens is an entire village helps you essentially choose they say oh you're of the married age you know who is available so and so is available they come from this family and the village will know all the dirt all the history of not just the suitor but his lineage did he come from a family of of Criminals, did he come from a family where they have a reputation of being, you know, indecent or unfair, unfaithful or, you know, are they liars Are are they are they gentle people? So the the entire community helps fill you in on the possible suitors so that you can make the best choice for your family. Um, which kind of brings me to my second point. Marriage is a family affair in this religion. It's not something that you go off and do or elope and come home and introduce to your family later. Families are involved in the entire process from meeting the individual to discussing it with parents to having the ceremony. They're involved in it. Couples don't just get married and, and show up later. They, you know, wives often move in with husbands, families. They're involved in the daily aspects of, you know, the lifestyle with their in-laws. And it makes expat sou- spouse-seeking, you know, people who have moved from their homeland to new communities. It makes that incredibly difficult, anxiety-provoking, totally terrifying, downright terrifying if you're trying to choose a spouse without the skills of knowing how to choose one on your own when you've been brought up to have your family behind you with that process.
0: So what happens when you're not in the village, when you've come to a new location and you don't necessarily know who the people are and you don't know their backgrounds?
1: Well, besides being totally terrified, you have two options. You can have a arranged marriage where your family picks one from back home and sends them over, he or she over, or you start trying to create a tribe for yourself in the new town that you're in, which means now you've got to find out where the rest of folks like you are hanging out, go to the religious community centers, go and meet people, figure out How can I make relationships where they trust me enough to tell me the truth about a suitor? Because you're like fresh meat, right? You're in town. You don't know anybody. They notice you. They say the first question is always, are you married? Why? Because it's a tribal mentality of, oh, this is another available person to put in our pool. And so that's what you you should do. But what ends up happening, because the generations that are coming, you know, with the millennials and Gen Z, they're not relying on those family values anymore. They're trying to be very independent. And they're trying to do things independently that have for generations past been an interdependent process. And they're going online. They're meeting people at work. And they're essentially just going out as wolves, you know, amongst the wolves as a lamb. And that's, that's what happens. And that's where you hear some of these stories. Because you don't have the backing of an entire community helping you make that choice. So
0: then what would you say are the pros and cons of an arranged marriage tradition in a Western society?
1: Um, they they add an entire support system. Um, you have more than one person doing due diligence to Provide you the best choices for a suitor. And the, the choice is not just for you as an individual, it's for your family. Someone that's gonna work well with your family dynamics um, and your family customs. Some someone that's gonna, you know, not cause too many waves and and not try to shake it up in a negative way. Shaking up in a good way happens all the time, but not in, in a negative way. We wanna avoid that. Um, there's a predictability to this institution with marriage when you have that process. And you also, you share that blame, you know, you, if, if something goes wrong, it's a shared thing because we did this together. So you essentially, you socialize the benefits, but you also socialize the the disadvantages as well. So when...
0: A woman's husband, and I'll, I'll speak about women um, who meet male predators, although um, I imagine that there are also female predators attacking men. So <laughs> are
1: just about to correct you and tell you it is not one-sided.
0: Right. Well, I, I've certainly found that in, in all of the cases that I've seen. Um, but anyway, so if, if the a marriage partner's spouse turns out to be a cheater or abusive, how does this affect, affect the entire family?
1: The entire family is devastated because there is a, there is an idea that transcends religion into culture, but I'm going to use the religious context because I can um, paraphrase it. I don't want to say quote, but I'll say paraphrase, which is if your friends are into things that are bad, it's almost like playing around a fireplace. There's soot in the fireplace, that dust, that black dust. And so when you associate yourself with people who are not, you know, grade A individuals, that dust transfers to you and you essentially are tarnished just from the association. So it affects the entire family because the whole family loses, right? There's reputation at stake. There's a loss, that joy of connecting tribes connecting families you know you double the size of your family you double your wealth your social support system and then they essentially lose that they lose all of that and they all lose it together so there's there's a not just the the bride or the groom suffer but the family suffers as well because we we socialize the games so if your daughter gains, mom gains, you know, we're, we're happy for each other. And there's so much intermingling with the families that you really, you know, it's hard. Imagine a child whose sister, older sister married into a family. That child is also part of the new in-law family unit. And so they gain new cousins who maybe they have great relationships with. They gain a new aunt and uncle who takes them out and, and is just a new support system. And then if things go awry, they lose all that immediately, it gets taken away. And how do you just close the door in a relationship you've been building in a new marriage? Everybody loses.
0: Okay, so um, the woman only saw this man two or three times before they got married. Uh, She was in Canada and he was in the United States. And on the second visit, he sexually assaulted her. So the woman was embarrassed and felt like she had no choice to go forward with the marriage. So what advice would you offer to a woman in this situation?
1: And these incidents are are definitely falling into the clear warning signs For both western and eastern individuals personal safety is your priority so no matter where you are from what religion you practice what cultural you know traditions belong to you your personal safety is incredibly important um muslim culture in general condemns this kind of thing adamantly to the point where if you were in a muslim country and individuals in the town witness someone assaulting a woman like on the side of the road the crowd would essentially beat that man senselessly and swiftly like there wouldn't be any time wasted because it is it is such a disgrace women are are to be protected and that is that is actually the religious norm for islam islam gets a really bad rap because you only hear the wild stories that come out you know it's a heuristic you just hear the wild ones but that's not the norm those are just odd outliers that happen Uh, Culturally, it's probably going to be condemned in most cultures as well, because Muslims prize decorum, hospitality, the protective nature of women. So these are things that, you know, if you think about the advice that you'd want to give someone, it would be personal safety so much so that their religion and culture would back that up. And oftentimes they're just so alone. You mentioned this individual was in Canada alone trying to find a spouse. Who does she go to? Who does she, she doesn't even know who to tell. There's no tribe. And there's also a poor understanding of her personal boundaries and sense of safety because it's just never been taught and she's never had, you know, those independent experiences yet. These are her first ones. Normally, those things happen. And if you're still, you know, connected to your tribe family in the town that your family is in, you have everyone there to help you move to your next step. File a police report. You know, um, the family usually ends up, you know, like I said, if someone assaults you in the street, the community is going to take care of it pretty quickly. And my advice would essentially be put distance between her and that individual. Seek medical care, therapy, and law enforcement as soon as possible.
0: Oh, okay. So... In this case, the woman was married for almost six years and had two children. And then in the meantime, her husband was taking out credit cards in her name and running up debts, which he did not pay off. So she escaped and did go back to her family in Canada. She had been in the United States and went back to Canada. So what psychological or cultural
1: issues do you think this would cause? Man, that's a sad story. Definitely. Um, I hate to hear things like this happen. As as I said before, when, when a, a child has a failure of the marriage in this sense, or she's been um, abused in this case, for example, and has to go back home, everybody truly truly loses and there's a great deal of shame that we have to talk about when we talk even though if the family is losing there's still that great deal of shame in returning home with your jail between your legs not because your family won't welcome you back with open arms and support you but because many cultural traditions not religious we have to separate the two but cultural traditions they treat divorced women like damaged goods and this is not all families, but this is a, a stereotype that is predominant because it does continue to happen even today. You, you'll hear of rogue circumstances where a family didn't take a bride back, but most families do provide the utmost support. Unfortunately, they do feel ostracized from you know, outside of the family social scene. And that ultimately lowers their remarriage ability when you say, oh, so-and-so was divorced and they went through all this and no one wants that bad luck is what they would call it or that bad reputation to be associated with them. Remember, we're talking about that suit, right? From the fireplace. You're just trying to put distance between you and something that is negative. Now, religion completely condemns this and we have a ton of examples from it, but the the cultural traditions do put those pressures Um, and the children, the children suffer the same pressures that they suffer in an American situation when there's a divorce, but they probably do better than their American counterparts because of the extended family that they do go home to, right? They're not just sitting with a struggling single mom. Mom generally goes back to her family. And then, you know, you have your village support again, financial support, child care, um, emotional support for everybody and then that familiar environment so that you're not growing up alone. You go back to where there's comfort.
0: Okay. So does um, Islamic psychology uh, and or scripture address any of the issues of the story? And, and if so, how?
1: Yeah, definitely. So Muslim marriages is, is a way to help polish your inner mirror, right? If you think about polishing a mirror, You are rubbing it to get any of the the fingerprints off a mirror. And if you're polishing, you know, metaphorically your soul, sometimes it's going to be a little irritating. And it's the most intimate relationship. That's where that happens in a marriage, where someone, you have that compassion and love, so you can very compassionately help people, you know, raise their standing and be a better person. And so we have um, a lot of benefits that you know islamic psychology and and scripture provide you in terms of um rules and regulations the quran which is the muslim book the you know the equivalent of the bible to christians the quran is to the muslims there's actually an entire chapter called anisa and that gives you rules on how to deal with marriage and divorce so that it's very clear to everybody um when you look at the issues that are involved in this story, the they would be condemned by every single rule from the Quran. you know, every single one. It, it addresses the safety of women first and foremost. Islam was the first to end female infanticide, a growing trend in Asia that and the, and Saudi Arabia or everywhere in the Orient, everywhere in the Middle East was doing this. And Islam stopped that. It was the first group to come on and say no, that this is not right. So the addressing of the the safety of women in Islam, there's a lot of scripture and um, just the mindset that supports it as well as practice. Nothing about the story of shared has any markings of Islam at all. This is just a sociopathic criminal who preyed on someone who didn't have the support. Now, when you remove the cultural and religious markers of the individual, you're just seeing your average psychopath comes in isolates the person lucky for him she was already kind of isolated slowly um make her feel indebted to him by the abuse and the sexual assault situation took advantage of the idea oh she will feel shame and feel compelled to cling to me because she won't have another choice in her mind now he gains control he gains access he's living under the guise of marriage and that protection that, oh, we share money in Islam, you share your finances. But he kind of got it wrong because women's money that they bring into a marriage in Islam belong only to her, whereas a man's money belongs to the both of them. And so he kind of utilized that and spun it around to his advantage. He just was a criminal, you know, and he used what he could, like every other, you know, con artist. He used the situation to his benefit and created the environment to push his victim into a corner so she didn't feel like she had a choice.
0: But she was really brave and escaped. She so did. the the, um, the faith would support that as well?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. In Islam, there there was an example from the Prophet of Islam, Muhammad, peace be upon him, who gave the example that divorce can be as simple as you guys just don't get along. you know. And then after he granted the divorce as an example, he used that as an example of two people who just could not get along. And then you know what he ended up doing? A while later, the prophet himself married that woman. Her name was, I believe, Zainab. He married that woman to show not only is divorce acceptable, But remarriage after divorce, remarrying a divorcee is totally acceptable. So acceptable. I will do it and show it as an example. And so when you hear these ideas that, um, oh, don't run away. You'll never get married. Just put up with it. They're they're not supported by religion at all. Well, that's
0: really good to hear. And and I'm so glad. And um, is there anything you'd like to add that I didn't ask?
1: I just I'm glad that this woman got away and and. I feel if there's any listeners out there that know of someone in that situation or f- might be in that situation themselves, they're b- between, you know, your your program, there's a lot of help out there if they just know how to go and ask for it. Being an expat, growing up in a land that is foreign to them, don't have the typical social supports and don't know exactly how to find them. There's tons of help for them. And I really do hope they do reach out.
0: Okay, well, thank you so much, Viola. I really appreciate this, and uh, for your wisdom and and your
1: own support for helping people with with um, however you can. Thank you so much for having me on, and for all the work that you do. Uh, it's an amazing process um, of taking, you know, personal pain, and you decide you can either lie in it or you can use it as fodder to kind of improve the community, and that's what you're doing.
0: I'm Donna Anderson. And this is True Love Fraud Stories. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Violsa Capri, Director of Mental Health Services at the Total Wellness Clinic. To learn more about Violsa's work, please visit her website at totalwellness.clinic. For contact information, please visit the page about this interview on podcasts.lovefraud.com. True Love Fraud Stories is produced by lovefraud.com. I'm the author of lovefraud.com. Engineering is by Terry Kelly. To learn how to recognize and recover from everyday sociopaths, visit lovefraud.com. And for more information about this story, other great stories, or if you'd like to share your story, visit podcasts.lovefraud.com.